to the off-court podcast on the harbinger media network it's very important that you support the harbinger media network. harbinger harbinger and especially support the mind refinery which is producing this show and a passage where i've been published it's the online journal of left canadian thought and opinion you can find that one at readpassage.com and on the harbinger media network you can hear great shows like the beep tea please of which nashville was, was on awesome. this show and 49th yeah she was great and 49th parahel hosted by friend of the show and very funny guy rob come Rousseau. on the show rob and meet me we're building a community that's challenging right-wing corporate media dominance from coast to coast get access to exclusive shows and other supporter only content at harbingermedianetwork.com thanks so uh, as we're recording this the world series is happening uh neither of us are big baseball guys but did you watch uh, did you watch the game last night <laughs> I watched uh, some uh, just some news clips about it because um, I don't currently have the patience for baseball. I watched some highlights as well, um, just because there are some really fun players on the Dodgers. But I'm not going to lie, especially with COVID happening and all the sports happening at the exact same time <laughs> this summer for the first time in forever, that I just kind of had to really pick and choose. I was even looking forward to maybe getting into football this year, but it just coincided with the NBA Finals too much. And I feel like that was a detriment to my ability to focus on baseball this summer. Yeah, I started watching football this year in earnest for the first time, and I picked the Dolphins as my team because I love the movie Any oh, Given yeah. Sunday. Yeah, so good. Oh, Oliver I thought Stone. I thought you were gonna mention I thought you were gonna mention uh, um, uh, Ace Ventura, but no. Oh, that's also <laughs> that another good reason. Sense. By the way, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, Oliver Stone fucking slaps that movie. Slaps. Yeah, uh, for those who don't know, I'm Abdul, uh, the world's newest Brooklyn or Brooklyn <laughs> L.A. Dodgers fan. <laughs> And I'm uh, Aton, Aton Tobin, and I think I'm going to take the I'm going to take the Dodgers as well for this World Series. I'm going to adopt them uh, myself. Um, also because uh, Tampa Bay, I just now that they have uh, Brady on their football team, I'm just uh, I feel like Tampa Bay's got too much good going for it. So I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Yeah, you know Jackie Robinson's team. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and I mean another another good coincidence. Uh, I don't know if you were going to mention this in your intro, but. This World Series happens to feature one of the most prominent African-American players in baseball right now, which is Mookie Betts, who's mm -hmm. been, you know, the subject of trades and, and MLB offseason news in the past few years. And he's also been very outspoken about criticizing um, the MLB for, like, slow response and supporting Black Lives Matter protests and everything. So it is a bit of a coincidence that we're doing this episode during that, and we did our basketball episodes during the NBA Finals. Oh hell yeah, and um and yeah, like Mookie Betts, uh, and actually no, just the MLB in general might be the most low key sinister evil league in sports, and I'm including football in that. Like people yeah. give it a pass because you know it's got that American shine that isn't you know CIA coups and just like gladiatorial brutalism. Yeah, I mean like it's got a very specific sort of wholesome attitude it's like homelander from the boys right <laughs> like, yeah, exactly it's like homelander but minus some uh military flyovers i guess oh yeah so yeah today we're talking baseball and specifically uh, the decline of black people in baseball arguably you mentioned this off off pod it is maybe the most like depressing thing that no one talks about when it comes to mm -hmm. professional sports and, like, a good place to sort of start with that is Jackie Robinson, you know, played for the Dodgers, who um, played his first game in, in April 1947. He was the first black player in Major League Baseball. He broke the color barrier, as yes. they said. Uh, yeah, the, the color, that, that, famous, that famous precursor to the glass ceiling, the color mm -hmm. barrier. Uh, like the Kool-Aid man, <laughs> he jumped through the yeah. wall. Yeah, jumping through a white, uh, a white wall, very specifically white with a with an H. So we all, I'm not gonna go into like the Jackie Robinson story because we all fucking know that. Yeah, you know I mean, like he broke the color barrier. He was legitimately one of the best to ever play the game. Incredible player, etc., etc., etc. There's also a great biopic with Chadwick Boseman about it that uh, that most people could watch. Rest in peace, King. So. The reason Jackie Robinson was uh, even the player selected to go into the MLB 
uh, and not someone who is in the saying this word verbatim from what the league was called the Negro uh, Baseball League, like uh, Satchel Paige or Josh Gibson. You know, people thought it was going to be like a, an aging vet from from that league, right? Like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, they brought up the name Satchel Paige or Josh Gibson, who I don't really know much about. But general manager Branch Rickey, played by Harrison Ford in 42 in his most like ham-fisted role ever, uh, was looking mm-hmm. for a type, right? And he said breaking the color line shouldn't just be about skill. It should require the ability to endure harassment threats and daily pressure without acting out and striking back. Um, and he wanted someone articulate. It was his uh, was his thing. Which, I mean, you got to give Branch Rickey some credit. He took that leap. You know what I mean? Because it was ultimately because it was profitable for him, by the way. He wanted to win games. but Right. And he was also very, uh, very, uh, um, very impressively skirting micro, the very prominent microaggressions that would be used in that time. I'm, I'm actually applauding him for using... Uh, wording like uh, what was the wording that you used to describe the Art- intelligence of Jackie Robinson? Yeah, like you know, and, and you know, he did to win games, and like you know, you can read between the lines there. He was looking for he was looking for someone who was willing to sit down and let people be racist, right? Like, which might have been what was needed at that time. Um, but like at the same time, like you know, don't get twisted. Like this was a dude who who did wanted to win games more than he wanted to help black people, right? Now, what you might not know about Jackie Robinson is that he was a lifelong Republican. Yeah, this one, this you told me off air and really, really got to me, especially when we carbon dated this shit and realized that, like, he had been a Republican and and was, like, best friends, potentially, with Nixon into his, like, late, uh, late age. Yeah, and, like, he started off as a Republican pre-Southern strategy, right? So you sort of have to give him a bit of that, which is... Oh, right. Proto-Republicans, the nice ones, were kind of liberal. Yeah, the ones who, you know, weren't, like, the party of, of KKK and slavery, right? Like, these were still, there were still, like, a, a streak of, like, Lincoln-era Republicans here. But mm-hmm. even beyond that, right up until his death in uh, in the 70s, Robinson still was pretty hardcore on that train, uh, which is, you know, I'm I'm surprised that more Republicans don't claim him as their own. Because it's, yeah, it's super it would be super useful for them to do so from the perspective of like african americans in sports and also they could use it for their shut up and dribble arguments a lot more like look even jackie took all the the um the hatred that you guys seem to internalize and then speak about and he donated to the republican party for all of his life why can't you guys uh be a little bit more um uh, uh, you know uncle tom for all of us basically not that i'm calling jackie robinson that but it would be a very easy argument for republicans oh yeah 100 percent. i'm pretty sure he spoke at one of the national conventions like don't quote me on that but i'm, uh, I'm pretty <laughs> certain he did which is um absolutely incredible by the way but yeah you know jackie robinson you know won the 1955 world series he did all this like awesome stuff he became a spokesman for the naacp and all that right like those were all big things that happened in his life those are all great things he did um but he also testified in front of the house on american activities committee to oh my God. help ban paul robeson from the country that is fucked yeah like like there was a split in sports where um you know sort of the the popular idea for a while was like muhammad ali on one side and and Ergo, you know, Malcolm X, right? Like, Molly is as a sports proxy for Malcolm X. And on the other side, there was Jackie Robinson as a proxy for Martin Luther King. You know, because those were two very differential and differently, you know, uh, confrontative approaches to challenging racism and especially in sports. And Jackie Robinson still used his platform for, like, a lot of good things. Um, But again, he was also... (laughs) He was also like a pretty diehard guy. And the thing that and he actually did call Richard Nixon trying to get Martin Luther King out of uh, out of a jail sentence where he was asked to work in a chain gang in Georgia and Nixon just ignored him. And that is so mean, because at that point, that's near the 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 end of Jackie Robinson's life. So he basically um, really fucked over a longtime donor at that point. One of their his most notable famous uh longtime donors at the time too. Yeah, and um and this also sort of speaks to I think a larger American project where one of the things I think that we forget about America and, you know, something very related to American imperialism, which is one of the reasons that black people are declining in baseball, uh deintegration of sports and American public institutions 
are as much a Cold War project as they were a social civil rights project because the USSR's, you know, big global not gonna call it a propaganda campaign, but the line they like to they like to say about the US was that it was a racist country, right? Which it was and it still is. And there was like a political advantage to desegregation, right? Like there was a very strong political advantage to saying no, we're not racist. We figured it out now. Like that's where people like Jackie Robinson were a huge deal because you could throw and baseball, you know, was quickly becoming a global sport at that time. It was already the American sport. So like that, I think is is super important to note because like the whole Jackie Robinson thing is as much uh, a point of like American global intervention as it is like a point of like Ricky Branch saying he wants to desegregate baseball or even looking at like a Martin Luther King era project, right? Like the CIA could have crushed desegregation at any point. It was a value judgment made on a number of factors in terms of like, what can Mm. we achieve? How will this help us? And uh, will this stall out larger projects of like, you know, passive imperialism across the globe, right? Not to discount the work that Martin Luther King Malcolm X did, but I think it's, it's important to consider, you know, what the state chooses to crush and chooses not to crush. You know what I mean? Yeah, there are always there are always external forces at play, and we're going to see that when with uh, the future of baseball, in a sense, because Jackie Robinson's time. I think it's important to note. I don't know if we have yet was when baseball was basically a hundred percent white, as opposed to the majority of Latin American, South American players that are are in baseball right now, and. That, that that percentage doesn't reflect some kind of like, you know, beautiful wonderland, like equality um, aspect to baseball. There is there are also forces in play behind that increasing percentage of Latin American players in baseball, which I assume you are going to be oh, going into in a little bit. And follow the money, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, a lot of people. And don't forget, Jackie Robinson was also a vet. So, like, you know, he, quote-unquote, succeeded the right way. He, uh, it's quoted here in one of the books I read, uh, Robinson's remarks regarding Paul Robeson are etched in the history books as the blow that took down the seemingly indomitable man. Indomitable man. Uh, Paul Robeson was an opera singer, civil rights activist, communist, who, you know, is perhaps the greatest soprano in the, or baritone, I can't remember, um, in the history of opera. Big black dude. He played Othello in London's West End. He ended up defecting to the USSR where he's buried and doing their English language broadcasts promoting communism across the globe until his death, where he would sing the International and Solidarity Forever every night. The man had an unbelievably great voice and like he was a, a huge trigger point for the civil rights movement because a lot of people rejected him because mm-hmm. of his communist credentials. He was a black man who believed in civil rights, but he was also um, you know, a, a oh, out and out, not socialist, communist, tanky <laughs> in the in the era of uh, of like, you know, uh, House on american Activities Committee. It's very, very uh, proto intersectionality, which I appreciate. Yeah, no, this is the kind of intersectionality I can fucking get behind. And you know what? To to his credit, uh, despite all of this, and I, I'm I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of this. Before he passed away in 1969, you know, Jackie Robinson, self de- you know, veteran, self-declared Republican, self-declared extreme anti-communist, said, "I wouldn't fly the flag on the Fourth of July or any other day. When I see a car with a flag pasted on it, I figure the guy behind the wheel isn't my friend." So I mean, like, it, we're not trying to take, I guess, a static view of Jackie Robinson. He was obviously like a very complex figure, but I think you mm-hmm. you do have to take his relationship to like a class-based racial project that emancipates all black people uh, in a very like material way compared to like, and his role in, in handicapping that or in helping that along in favor of what we would call like a more liberal representative form of um, civil rights and racial justice, right? Something that's more, you know, visual than mm-hmm. it is like material, right? That doesn't affect the, I don't know, destruction of black communities uh, at the hands of, um, you know, neoliberalism and the American state. Uh, it's it's great that you brought up that we're opening this with Jackie Robinson and the stuff that I didn't even know about his politics, because it's clear that there is some kind of subconscious effort by the MLB as it's continued um, to ignore the nuance of his opinions and to maybe idealize the type of sort of like toe in line black man that he he was to them back in the day, especially with his views on politics and uh, and basically nationalism oh a hundred percent like 
you know, the MLB loves, loves, loves spitting Jackie Robinson, right? Every year they have Jackie Robinson Day where everyone wears the number 42. They, you know, talk up Jackie Robinson. You know, obviously he's a Hall of Famer, but like, you know, any time the MLB has been criticized for anything regarding racial justice, they, um, they just whip out Jackie Robinson. They, they pull they pull the Trump. They go, look at my African American friend <laughs> and fucking point him out in the in the uh in the riot crowd. Yeah. It, or sorry, not riot, uh campaign gathering yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, it's uh it's absolutely ridiculous because they can't they can't square it, right? Like they cannot fucking mm. they cannot um square the fact that they might be doing something wrong now. Despite the fact that like I think a baseball announcer was just fired for calling someone a fag when he thought he was off air. <laughs> Holy fuck. The best part of that clip too is how quickly he ra- he realizes he was on air and how he He's probably not going to be here. It was like the it was like the the polar opposite of uh, Ma- Magic Johnson quitting on air uh, in an interview. And to sort of put the cap in uh, Jackie Robinson, right? Like Ricky Branch um, talked about how, uh, despite like you know perhaps the number of white fans declining, like he made so much money off the fact that Jackie Robinson drew so many black crowds to games. He knew he knew where he was at that time, and he knew what kind of money that would bring in as well, right? So there's your like racial baseline for the uh, MLB. Some some other things to consider before we go into the rest. The MLB is the second most profitable league in North American sports behind the NFL, which is quite huge. They have a revenue of around 9.5 to 10 billion dollars off of 30 teams. And they are also the only major sports league in North America of the big four without a salary cap. This is going to be super important. So salary cap usually level the playing field. Every There's a salary cap involved where every team cannot go over a certain amount of payroll. There's exceptions, but like generally everyone in basketball, for example, I think it hovers around 120 mil. It changes year to year or 130. Uh, obviously, that's different in other sports, but baseball does not have salary cap, period. I will get into why this is important in a second. Now, the last couple of seasons, uh, baseball, the number of black people in baseball has hovered around record low levels. In the early 80s, 20% of the league was black. Now it's 6.7% of the MLB, I think, was the calculation. Yeah, it's absolute madness. I mean, when I was looking up the numbers, I, I was reading that the, the 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 highest percentage of black people on one team are the Marners right now, the Seattle Marners which have 10 black people on their roster. So that's, you know, you can you can do the math in your head and where that fits in the percentage if that's the most on a single team. The irony being Seattle is one of the whitest cities in the U.S. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And like, you know, America, quote-unquote, America's game, right? Despite being dwarfed by football like i think when people think america they think you know apple pie the american flag fourth of july and baseball i believe it's also the most played sport for young kids and stuff like that which is super Mm. uh, important the number of pitchers in baseball period has never risen above seven percent and for those who don't know the pitcher is the star role in baseball it's it's the quarterback it's the point guard it is the the you know big role and it's the people people want to emulate maybe not a point guard but you know what i'm saying right like it's Mm -hmm. it's you know the the starting center in hockey and stuff like that that that's never been seven percent usually it hovers around two to three percent in the league in the in 2017 of the 30 players selected in the first round of the mlb draft there were four black players selected and you know the league really hasn't given a shit so obviously with these sorts of declining numbers you know beyond the obvious representative politics which we like to try and get away from uh, there is like a material and economic reason, and if someone's if someone's winning, in this case the owners, uh, and other people are being narrowed out, i.e., black people, someone is losing <laughs> way more than just seeing black people decline. Historically, in America, the MLB has become synonymous with civil rights in a way that other sports aren't, because the MLB is America's oldest sports league. And mm-hmm. like you know, here's where we get into a couple of the reasons for it. Um, a big one is austerity reaganomics actually because you'll see that the number of players uh peaked in the 70s and 80s but immediately reagan era cuts to african-american communities and sports programs and you know sort of uh, communities of color 
just fucking devastated the ability of black people to get into playing baseball. It just crippled them economically. That plus the CIA throwing crack into black neighborhoods and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mute, mute point, mute point. But, um, I, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy how much um, uh, they've they've been the, these black communities. I was watching a, a short doc about a Brooklyn uh, f- uh, baseball team that's trying their hardest to recruit more black players, and all these uh, all these young black kids have internalized the effects of this, this Reagan era economics. Like they they all talk about how you know there's not enough. Uh, opportunities, but mostly that it's too expensive to buy baseball gear and that the grass gets them too dirty when there are really all these like inherent and very recent political decisions that have led to the lack of opportunity in these communities. I find I find it fascinating that we've it's been about 30 years, 40 years since then, and we've kind of forgotten about it. A hundred percent. Right. Like and that that mm-hmm. was one of the big things I was going to get at is like baseball is a much more expensive and time consuming sport to get into than something like basketball or uh, something that's played in high schools, like football. Uh, the equivalent in Canada, maybe, for just some of our Canadian listeners, would just be the, 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 the racial gap in hockey. It's very similar in terms of the, the gear expense and the amount of sources that are available in inner cities in terms of NHL uh, with uh, younger children in Canada and baseball in, in America. Both considered their national sports. Yes, and like especially with like hockey here, like you see that when whenever you do have a player of color who's like put in there, they're usually from a pretty wealthy background. Like I have a, I have a colleague at work who's like an, an older dude from Montreal, and he used to talk about how he just used to like, you know buy skates at the local shop and buy like you know dollar sticks and play on the ice and that's how i learned to play hockey not anymore (laughs) i mean like like i have another colleague whose son is like very likely going to go pro as a goalie the pads alone for for that cost two thousand dollars right the goalie camps with like an nhl goalie can be upwards of 10 to fifteen thousand for like three weeks with a goalie where he teaches you like how to play the game at an nhl level to say nothing of the fact that like you have to go to practice at like 5 a.m you have to drive your kids to and from you have to replace this equipment sticks are fucking expensive and last half as long because everyone's using like carbon fiber I think another aspect to that too with baseball in America, like that similarity of uh, equating it to the to the fact that you just have to get up really early to make it to the rink with hockey. It's that baseball takes place during the summer, which is exactly when a lot of inner city kids get to basically just hang out with their friends over the summer. It it, it removes like a a a, a child uh, enjoyment, a, a childlike enjoyment to it, like just solely based on when it takes place. And like, when was the last time you saw a little league field in a city that wasn't Toronto? Right. Like, I I think of Edmonton mm-hmm. where there's like one baseball diamond for like you know the west end of where i live in the city stuff like that like driving up there driving back there they're tearing down the baseball stadium soon it was supposed to happen earlier but like covid came and like as a result of this there's like very little interest in like perpetuating black people in the sport like um satchel pages uh kansas city home like people have been trying to make a historical landmark forever and no one in the mlb gives a shit mm-hmm. larry doby who was like you know very important in breaking the color barrier alongside jackie robinson no one remembers that guy. I think he is in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, it's one of the easier Hall of Fames to get into. Uh, except for Joe Carter, rest in peace, Blue Jays legend, did not make it on the first mm-hmm. or second ballot. And uh, and there's also hasn't been, like, a much of an interest in putting black people at the top, right? There were two black team presidents, uh, Kenny Williams and Mike Hill. I don't know if they're still there. And one black GM, who's uh, Dave Stewart, Arizona Diamondbacks. But here is where we get into the interesting thing. In 2006, of the top 20 hitters in the National League, eight were Latino, including the 2005 MVP. Seven of the top 10 were born outside the U.S., five in Latin America. Six of the of the last 10 American MVPs in 2006 were Latino. And one was Japanese, Ichiro Suzuki, who absolutely fucking rules, by the way. Uh, Ichiro yeah, guy is rocks. awesome. And... Uh, you know, that was more than the prior 30 years before that, by the way. <laughs> and the U.S. got fucking ripped at the World Baseball Classic in 2006. The U.S. got drummed out of a event that was basically designed to make sure the U.S. team would win. Uh, and they got absolutely crushed. <laughs> and it what this did was it, it sort of bellied the fact that the um, that the U.S. talent pool for baseball was starting to get extremely shallow and extremely bad uh whereas mm-hmm. and the u.s finished eighth behind japan cuba korea 
the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and can you guess the last one? Uh, I'm going to say uh, somewhere in South America, uh, Bolivia? Venezuela. Venezuela, close. Yeah, you know, the Venezuelans, um, you know, for for all the hatred the U.S. pours on to Venezuela, uh, they fucking <laughs> rip your asshole in uh, – in baseball, motherfuckers. I'm, I mean, f- funny enough, half the countries that you mentioned are going to be the countries I'm assuming you're about to talk about. All the outsourcing and some of the most hated countries by North America. Oh, absolutely. So before we get into this, uh, we're going to take a quick ad break. Roll those ads. You know, we, we love ads. We love having ads on the podcast. We love promoting our friends. Are you into video games or ever wondered why something like video games is even important to be discussed, to be listened to? If so, check out Buffs and Nerfs, another podcast from the Mind Refinery. Hosts Andrew and Sam will talk about the latest from the gaming world and dive deep into the culture of games. From the game mechanics of Destiny 2, which... God, stop Bungie making me spend money and play your fucking video game. I got to do research for this podcast. Uh, To the future of cloud gaming, they explore the relevance of gaming through personal experience and their impact on society. That was a great episode, too. I highly recommend listening to this podcast. So baseball has no salary cap, which means that there is an enormous disparity in payment. It means that that. Players cannot, they do have luxury tax, which is basically meaningless for big teams. But, you know, you could you could get play, paid, I'm not joking, $1,000 and play alongside someone who's getting paid $30 million or more, for that matter. Like, just the fact that there is no salary cap means that there is a huge imbalance in payment. There is really no real minimum payment because the minor leagues, people are called up and down from the minor leagues so often mm-hmm. uh, to go to major league teams and back down, stuff like that. It's partially it's partially why the negotiations for restarting baseball during COVID were so complicated, right? Because there's such a disparity between its players. There was completely different incentives for every baseball player to actually participate in uh in the restart of the MLB, which didn't even end up being in a bubble. I mean, I was watching clips from the 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 game last night, and it's wild to see that uh, there's half an audience at Dodger Stadium. But it's it's uh it's definitely caused lots of problems in the MLB, and I'm assuming you're gonna get it into the most the worst one, which is the racial disparity. Oh, hundred percent. And like this is the other thing, right? Because of this, because of this like huge disparity, and like the hot swapping of players so often, players are basically global commodities rather than human beings, right? They're easily acquired, easily disposed. They have no real value as a person, and people who do speak out as people tend to actually be drummed out because talent is actually so abundant in the MLB, and it is such a data-driven sport that you can basically swing it whatever way you want. All 30 teams scout something called the Republic of Baseball, which is Central and North Latin America, so Venezuela um, all the way up to like the Honduras and everything in between, you know, Belize, Mexico, all that stuff. And they have multi-million dollar baseball academies in, in the Dominican Republic where, you know, people come over and from uh, nearby countries and basically learn to, to be the best at baseball so they get hired into the league. And uh, one baseball executive described it as, we have made Field of Dreams out of the jungle. <laughs> and they churn in thousands of players and then dump them and get two or three good players out of it because the cost of it is so low to run given your return that you can just bring people in however much you want. Oh, sorry. I was I was about, I was going to ask you why didn't they put these resources into inner city communities, but you answered my question very quickly. So, Latin American players sign for about 5 to 10 cents on the dollar compared to their US counterparts. In a game like baseball where there is no salary cap and like you're able to like flex that money you know, you can offer mm-hmm. a guy from the Dominican Republic a million bucks when the U.S. he'd cost 40 and then, you know, pay a couple of like big American players or, you know, that guy who the Blue Jays signed for, you know, 50 million or whatever from uh, from Korea. Um, I forget his name, but he's he's pretty cool. He's fun to watch. And, you know, and most of these countries are about 60 to 70 percent of them. People who live in them are below the poverty line on average. 
So the academies are extremely attractive to young people. The The thing I heard in the Dominican Republic is that most young athletes, when they start playing uh, baseball, like in the street or growing up, they play without shoes. They use cut out milk cartons for gloves and rolled up cloth for balls and sticks for bats. And the academies actually offer them equipment, uniforms, uh, three squares, and a dream of making it to the majors where they can get paid million dollars, millions of dollars, right? The competition to get into these baseball factories can sometimes turn deadly <laughs> because it's oh, such, oh I'm I'm afraid of yeah, this yeah because yeah. it's such a huge draw and like you know you'll have like thirty kids outside the gate waiting for the tryout trying to like hamstring each other uh you know trying to undercut the next person there because like literally it feels like it's the only and by the way sometimes these kids also hitchhike like nine or ten hours to get there so it's basically the city of god outside of these fucking right outside of the gates of these academies all over south yeah, america which are by the way heavily policed like properly gated like we're talking barbed wire like honduras has you know on average the highest murder rate in the world thanks to you know globalization mm-hmm. but like you know teams do feel these academies there right and like they also operate you know private private spaces so that like um so that uh you know players can go there and like practice or get a photo op in there without having to like see the country itself and so like you know people in the mlb like describing this as like Baseball has a special relationship with people in, like, the Dominican Republic. And by special relationship, they mean, like, highly exploitative <laughs> relationship. Yeah, they, they mean it's like it's like China's relationship with African countries. It's very special because those countries are, are willing to give up tons of resources <laughs> just to get the Chinese government to build them a port. It's very similar. Oh, 100%. And, like, we always hear about, like, the, the success stories of these places, right? Like, the... um. The Sammy Sosas or, you know, the Tejadas or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. we hear about those players. We don't hear about, like, the, the thousands of players who are just dumped on the street because they couldn't make a tryout or whatever. A lot of times these kids, because all the tryouts usually happen at the same time, will chain their tryouts, right? Because it's not just one academy. It's many. You'll hitchhike 10 hours mm-hmm. to one, hitchhike to the next, hitchhike to the one after that until you get in or you don't. And consider, like, that would be risky in a country like Canada, which is, you know, by no means perfect. Uh, but, like, consider that in a country that's, you know, as poverty-stricken, as hollowed out by global capitalism as the Dominican Republic or the or Honduras. Um, and the fact that they all call this the Republic of Baseball, too, is incredibly fucked up. Yeah, that the colonization language is just emanating from all this wording. It's 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 kind of wild. And also, like, these kids have, the ones who do make it to major leagues have way less of an incentive to be political or active in labor negotiations, right? Because they're making more than, you know, the next 10,000 people in the Dominican Republic combined. And they're able Mm -hmm. to support their families and stuff like that. Like, they they have made it, uh, they have made their dreams of better life real. And so, yeah, like, you know, the Major League Baseball basically has absolved itself of any responsibilities to these kids uh, because 99.9% of them don't make it. And 95% of the kids who make it to the academies, by the way, are just kicked out. Like, they're discarded because they they don't cut it. And, like, no one is more telling of this than a player named Mario Encarnacion, who he played for, uh, he washed out of the major leagues and played for Taiwan's uh, Makoto Cobras. And one day he was just found dead in his Taipei dormitory room. And it... It was sort of the end to his beginnings in one of the poorest towns in the DR called Bani. And from there, he went through this academy system, couldn't cut it in the major leagues. He was once like the number one draft prospect for the Oakland A's. And he was once considered, you know, an MVP candidate to rival Miguel Tejada, who was also from Bani, by the way. <laughs> and uh, and just ended up, you know, 10,000 miles from where he was born, died completely meaningless uh, in a completely meaningless fashion completely chewed up by the system and actually miguel tejada ended up having to be the one to pay the freight to bring this guy home so he could be buried jesus christ um and because no one else in that city including his family could foot the bill to have him brought back uh so he could get a proper burial in his hometown and this is like this is sort of that idea in a nutshell right like this is uh the the deepest extreme of like a story of of exploitation capitalism that defines sort of the MLB's relationship to Hispanic and Latin American players. Like right there, you know, it's kind of a good sense of like 
there are base and they're called fucking baseball factories, right? Like they're not officially their academies, but everyone knows them as, as factory systems. So mm. when we talk about players as commodities uh, and, you know, not wanting outspoken black people, if we're going to ask for American wages, like it is like it is like a weird NAFTA type system they've started employing here. You know what I mean? 100%. I think also it speaks to the lack of um, um, like there, there's not a lot of scholarships in baseball, right? So there's no academia route for a lot of these people right. to go it's through, which I guess NCAA, is a big NCAA moneymaker, right? Yeah, which like that has obviously it's terrible issues as well, which we'll be going into on some future episodes. But at, at the end of the day, there is sort of a fallback um, uh, fallback safety net uh, in the pipeline of uh, football and, and basketball academia in America, especially because of its large percentage of just inner city youth. So it, it's funny that we're, 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 we're we, we treat the baseball players that we're outsourcing from these countries the same way that we outsource any individual from those countries. And it's it's also like baseball does not pay as much globally as like basketball does, for example. Like there's there's so many like reasons for this, but you know he um this this guy Encarnacion like he is the most tragic story of of like just a litany of tragic stories we don't hear about. And and for a lot of these kids, it seems like the only way out. There is a quote I read that went something along along lines like factory gangs and uh, and baseball were like the three ways to get out of like poverty uh because you know most there's a ton of like textile industries in the dominican republic you know in the honduras like if you're wearing a hanes shirt i highly suggest you look at where it's being made so there are exceptions to this rule of like the the shut up and play jose uh attitude that like you know many mlb uh teams have right like one of them is carlos delgado uh, who, mm. who refused to stand for the singing of God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch because that's a thing that fucking happens at baseball games. I I, I love the idea of stopping the game, by the way, to sing uh, yeah, God yeah, Bless yeah. America. Like, and also and also in like the the the, the third at like the, the third third of the you know what I mean? It's not even at the halfway point. The game is almost done and at its highest tension and we have to listen to this bullshit. It's absolutely fucking batshit and he did it uh as like an anti-Iraq war thing. And his exact quote, which he told the Toronto star was, I think it's the stupidest war ever. Who are you fighting against? (laughs) You're just getting ambushed. Now we have more people dead now after the war than during the war. You've been looking for weapons of mass destruction. Where are they at? (laughs) You've been looking for a year. Can't find them. We all collectively said where they at when George Bush (laughs) announced that they're going, they found those fucking uh, weapons where they at bro. you've been looking for over a year can't find him i don't support that i don't support what they do i think it's just stupid so uh he uh he ended up getting benched (laughs) by the marlins and then traded to the mets uh, where he ended out his career after playing by the way a very long time for the blue jays good for him that must have actually played a factor i imagine like playing for the canadian team and then going to the u.s and we we treated him great here and canarcion is a a name i'm gonna remember for a while even as a casual baseball observer yeah and he ended up getting traded to the mets where he worked out some sort of agreement with them uh, which i'm sure involved involved some kind of a monetary stipend or whatever yeah an uncut gems type deal and that that sort of parallels a decline so this this exploitation of the global south parallels decline of baseball in black communities so uh la dodger milton bradley uh, mentioned about his teammate jeff kent who is a fucking racist (laughs) um he doesn't know how to deal with african-american people it's a pattern of things that have been said things said off the cuff that i don't interpret as funny it may be funny to him but it's not funny to milton bradley referring to himself in the third person (laughs) and it's like that by the way is a huge part of it there's a couple of people who have declared and even now you know are still super racist players trying to find the quote here yeah adam jones once publicly called uh, diamondbacks outfielder called baseball a white man sport in 2016 yeah, I, I was actually reading this story. Didn't his coach say said that if he would ever kneel like for the national anthem, he would just send him to the clubhouse where he belongs or yeah, something 100%. like that? Yeah, his coach Tony Larusa, which is another fantastic baseball. That's man. a great Italian name. And 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 just reads as somebody who would use the term like Mulyan or something <laughs> to refer to his players. You love to see it, really, because like the baseball media jumped on Bradley, who by the way, they have described him previously as like 
perennially inflamed. Again, hear the whistle in this to certifiably insane. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, And they said that he was trying to launch a taboo discussion about race. Oh my and God. Ryan Sandberg, who is a Hall of Famer, who had a, a baseball column, ran a letter from a fan saying, Bradley says being black is more important to him than baseball. If it is, then you should leave baseball and get into something more black than he feels comfortable with. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's... I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean I to laugh. It's just, it. it's just so absurdly racist. Then they go into the stuff that you were talking about prior, right? Which is like one of the huge uh, things is like for black communities. Um, these things cost money and in a lot of black communities Mm -hmm. where they haven't gotten rid of where they haven't gotten rid of baseball diamonds at all or uh, you know they haven't torn them out completely they're they're described as being places of like broken glass and neglect uh like the turf just provides a perfect breeding ground breeding ground for small rodents and shit like that yeah so it's literally like just a cost thing because i mean it's it, it, it baseball can be equated to golf in many ways just the amount of like of uh, municipal funding that needs to go into the grounds to to keep it up, which is why golf is a rich white people sport because they have to, uh, they, they usually have to also break environmental codes just to fucking keep up uh, um, golf uh, uh, fields. Uh, it, it, it was interesting to me that you brought up the Reagan era, um, just Reagan era economics. And I would even say Clinton era incarceration because there's probably a, a very direct decline just in like, black people's parents in those kinds of inner city communities caring about about baseball there was a quote actually from the doc i was watching about brooklyn uh, baseball that said without fathers there is no baseball there's only basketball and football which just like literally speaks to to the fact that bill clinton probably just fucking put a lot of young black people's dads in jail before they could teach them baseball oh, 100%. you know percent so as the number of black people has declined to 7%, at the same time, the number of Latin American people in the sport has come up to 30%, by the way, as of Madness. as of 2009. Black sports writer uh, Robert Scoop Jackson and a couple of others have described Latin American players as the new Negroes in baseball. Like, there's uh, a happy-to-be-here attitude that the MLB takes advantage of, and that might be more like ideology in fact, uh, and it's also a way that the U.S. Uh, cultural project sort of asserts itself globally, right? Which is a relic of Cold War-era um, cultural programs to be like, see, we're not racist. Now it's like, see, we're providing opportunities to poor kids from Latin America. <laughs> Well, and it's so funny how this uh, mirrors exactly what just happens in North America with labor disputes. Like there is an inherent there there is a very vicious racism between Latin American and African American communities because of these kinds of because of labor outsourcing, right? And and they're 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 basically telling black players in the MLB to be just as happy as these Latin players. Um, when they are being exploited, like, look at these guys, they're willing to to jump on the back of a paint truck and, and get paid a, a few dollars an hour. Why aren't you? And, and it also dismisses their long term citizenship in this country, which is so funny coming from fucking Americans who are constantly talking about nationalism and the fucking rightful owners of this country. I don't know if I just said too many things at once, but it's, it's just funny you talk about you mind. talk about that because like a lot of players who come here and don't cut it from Latin America end up mm-hmm. end up staying or in the u.s not here uh, although i'm sure it happens here too they end up staying uh without papers quote-unquote illegal you know illegal immigrants or whatever and just end up working like factory jobs or working the same jobs any sort of imported uh, domestic labor without identification like it, that's a quote-unquote huge problem <laughs> described in like the latin american farm system is like it presents an opportunity for people to jump the border quote-unquote illegally someone uh described because baseball has tried to jumpstart uh programs in the inner cities uh, we'll get into why that's insane by the way and not accurate but like um it's been described as uh they've opened up a baseball factory in south central <laughs> Um, described as a baseball factory or a baseball academy, but it's been described as like pumping air into the lungs of a dead man. He needs life. He doesn't need air. <laughs> Which is who wrote, who wrote that I, sentence? What, what article is this, this from? Is, this is from, from Dave Siren's book, Welcome to the Terror Dome, about the politics of okay. Americans. It's a great book, by the way. Yeah. It, covers, it covers a million different topics. It's very enjoyable, but that's a great quote. And like, you know, he goes on to describe the conditions of of baseball in inner cities, right? Where he says, 
It breaks my heart to see uh, our pitchers dodging large indentations in the mound to keep from breaking their ankles, pitchers including my own son. Yes, it's definitely the economics keeping African Americans on the outside looking in. There's a lot of lip service from corporations and Major League Baseball teams about the fields they've built or refurbished, but that isn't even a drop in the bucket. And then he says, I don't have to look further than the Gary, Indiana, by the way, famously shitty uh, American city, Gary, Indiana, Gary South Shore Railcat Stadium. The Railcats, to their tremendous credit, established the Home Field Advantage Foundation, which has been invaluable in keeping baseball alive in Gary, and donated $50,000 to Gary Youth Baseball, money that was desperately needed. But the Railcats, a minor league team, play in a stadium that cost $50 million. <laughs> so they donated 50000 to youth baseball teams and then built a $50 million stadium. And it's like, with 1% of that budget, they could have built a youth complex for baseball and softball. And it's that that is like a perfect example of it it's like you know we're jump-starting baseball in inner cities or like you know economically deprived cities or, or economically destroyed cities it's like no you're not you're building stadiums most of which are bu- uh, funded by public money I, I actually know how shitty gary indiana is mostly because i listen to freddie gibbs but that's besides the point uh, uh, I, the, the, that kind of funding too for for stadiums and like all this faux pas like we're injecting money into the communities always ignores i don't know if you'll get into this later but the, just the fact that AAU coaches aren't encouraging black players to get into baseball regardless of that fact, right? So the AAU, to those who don't know, is the Amateur Athletic Union in America. It's an amateur sports organization based in the U.S. So it's the pipeline for a lot of youth uh, athletes in uh, in America. Um, so basically, it's just funny to me to hear that there was this kind of investment in Gary, Indiana, when when there are plenty of of uh, testimonials from young black players who, if they happen to play any other sport, mostly football or or basketball outside of baseball, they're going to get encouraged to play that sport. Especially if their frame, if they're very tall or very muscular, they're they're often going to get encouraged to play a different kind of sport by their mentors in their youth development pipelines, which is just inherently a huge issue in itself, regardless of this funding. And also consider the the fact that basketball's rise uh, in baseball's decline for black players uh, directly correlates to the uh, economic upkeep of a concrete basketball or cement basketball court in an inner city with like a chain hoop mm-hmm. versus a baseball field, right? Which actually requires maintenance. And to your point about golf, by the way, there's no economic justification for keeping a baseball stadium open or a baseball field open because with golf, you have to sell memberships and shit like that, right? Like, whereas with baseball, mm-hmm. it's just usually if there isn't a little league game going on or something, it's just accessible to anyone at any time. So there is also like a huge class gateway between like the use of public spaces and sports, which we will cover on a future mm-hmm. episode because fuck, I hate golf. Tiger Woods specifically would be a fun one. But like um, that's sort of like a big thing with like, you know, black and not even black communities, but like just economically disenfranchised communities, right, which are overrepresentative mm-hmm. in over, overrepresented in black communities. Like Gary, Indiana is a good example of like everyone's poor in Gary, right? Like I've driven through mm-hmm. Gary on my way to Iowa City. Um, it's fucked, and like I don't <laughs> say that lightly. Like obviously, you know, I met some very nice people for the you know four hours I was there. But like you can, all it takes is like one look to understand like what kind of city you're in, in terms of like its its economic dispossession and why. Uh, low key, a very Bible thumping uh, uh area of that state mm-hmm. as well. You know, sort of to add on to that, like because there's uh because there's you know this sort of thing around around black players and latin american players there is hostility nurtured between the two and especially in ped arguments like black people are under much heavier scrutiny regarding ped right like barry bonds who Mm -hmm. who became like the poster child for for using you know illegal drugs and sports or whatever i would also like to point out the barry bonds thing came on the heels of um him saying uh, Boston is the most racist city in America, <laughs> which I facts, I, I, facts. Will prom- I promise you right now, if you're listening to this, uh, we will do an episode just dedicated to the city of Boston. Just to the racism yeah. uh, amongst the sports fans of the city of Boston and how it fuels their passion for sports. Oh, 100%. <laughs> just the mass hole episode. Um, but yeah, like like the Barry Bonds thing, because he wasn't the only guy caught with PEDs. He was maybe the most high profile, mm. right? But I think it is extremely crucial to consider Bonds was um, in the limelight around that time for a bunch of other comments he made around race and racism. Um, again, 
Not mm-hmm. not saying anything is connected in a very specific way, but I will 100% allege that these two things are related. He's also a perfect example of charisma being stifled in baseball, right? He was one of the more prominent and outspoken and very star-like baseball stars. I, I remember Nelly talking about this on first take, like literally about how baseball stifles the charisma of black players, which is it's so funny how throughout this episode we're just constantly giving props to the NFL, <laughs> um, who is clearly – who is clearly a better like it's it's funny to me to think that the NFL is better at developing stars, especially black stars, than the NFL. Which is yeah, and it's especially fucked because like the NFL is like is like scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of like justice, workers' mm-hmm. rights, like any issues the NF any issue you can think of, the NFL is typically on the wrong side of that. But like it goes to show the NFL actually is somehow better <laughs> in a lot of ways. Well, we, we say that, but not to cut you off, Abdul, it it, it, it might be better, but as um Adam Jones mentions, um the outfielder of the Orioles that we talked about a bit earlier Baseball doesn't need black people as much as NFL does, right? So at the end of the day, there's like, it, it might seem like we're giving the NFL credit, but there's a clear financial benefit when it comes to employing as many African Americans that the NFL does as comparatively to the MLB. Same thing with the NBA too, right? Like it's it there yep. is like an, an athletics and a, a you know just general body type argument that people make um, around baseball. Baseball, which is like don't get me wrong not, neither of us could play professional baseball or even like any kind of baseball but like baseball uh is a very different sport athletically and i would argue a less athletic sport than say well definitely football and basketball right of the what's the most mainstream joke that you can make right everybody fucking who barely watches sports comments about how oh uh why are there fat people in baseball i could do that as well yeah exactly there's also fat people in football because you need body mass to be a linebacker but like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no medically yeah. obese <laughs> but yeah no i totally get that like baseball does require mm-hmm. like a different sort of athletic athletic conditioning than than basketball or football do right and oftentimes a different body type like i don't think seven foot tall people do well in baseball um compared to the nba and like also in terms of like front office and stuff like that and like actual managerial positions that could potentially you know highlight the importance of bringing black people into the league like there is there was a move that uh, that baseball would look for qualified candidates in key baseball operations positions with special emphasis on the preparation of minority and female candidates. And it's it's informally known as the uh, Selig rule in 1999. Uh, this only says that they have to interview candidates, not hire them. There's no quota system here. And I mean, a quota system would be a tiny step towards addressing a larger problem of not just a lack of black representation but like the the economic disenfranchisement of glo- the global south and the mm-hmm. absolute devastation of of black communities that resulted in their like lack of opportunities within baseball so like there's all that but then there's sort of one more angle to this that i don't think would have been addressed in a lot of research but i think is worth thinking about and that is the analytically driven nature of baseball plays mm-hmm. a huge role in justifying the lack of black people in the sport. And this one is is super interesting because a lot of times it's it's very easy to make the connection between Latin American exploitation and Reagan era economics and tie those two things together into baseball now. But like ultimately, like what is what is analytics? Analytics is a prioritization of efficiency over creativity in order to achieve like a statistically significant increase in a result. We are going to break down the numbers and we are going to use those numbers to deliver a very specific result, regardless of how the game has been played prior or regardless of like how popular eye test assumptions of the game are. Also some uh, to some of our listeners who've uh, read about this topic, but might not be baseball uh, uh, fans. You might've heard this term in baseball context be referred to as saber matrix, saber metrics, saber metrics and Moneyball are used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Great movie, by the way, Brad Pitt. Great, great performance. The late Ooh. Philip Seymour Hoffman. One of the best Aaron Sorkin yeah, scripts. Actually. I will, I will, I will die along that fact. So will I actually, and I mean that that movie, if you if you have seen it, is great at uh, at exemplifying this uh, how analytics based the baseball uh, the sport of baseball has been for basically since its existence. But this strange uh, old school traditional uh, school of thought that has dominated it up till a very uh, recent uh, period, which is the late nineties two thousands. And analytics typically means quantifying labor in a way that it it 
takes every last drop of the person doing the work. Like it denies individuality and it turns everything into a number. This is a quote from, from Robert Scoop Jackson. The mandate is to get rid of or trade a worker or player at any time if their numbers aren't right, regardless of their importance to the company or team. It's basically a form of surveillance capitalism where your your every move as a player or a worker or a doctor or whatever is being tracked and then analyzed by someone. Yeah, baseball players live in 1984. <laughs> yeah, the they way. do. Well, all athletes do, but especially baseball players. Yeah, and like, or or you just write an algorithm, right? That decodes that's decoded by someone. And like stuff like that into something quantifiable. And use the example of basketball, right? Where they have a number used internally in basketball sabermetrics called, uh, or more able <laughs> called potential assists, mm, which is, RIP. yeah, like they're, they're able to quantify the capacity or the, the percentage of, of someone getting the ball turning into a potential assist by passing the ball to someone who will then assist mm. the ball getting in the hoop. And like, yeah, like the, the Michael Lewis money ball thing is like value players evaluate strategies by using data to find knowledge. So something that's worth mentioning here is that statistics aren't real. Like they are, but they're not because statistics are only as good as the person decoding them and the person decoding them or an algorithm, which is written by a person is like deliberately imperfect right like this is how this yeah. is basically race science 2.0 <laughs> or or it can just be inherently biased even if it's not entirely flawed on a technical yeah, level it's, right? it's entirely informed by the bias of the person who developed it it's like you can't machine learn your way out of a bad model which means that like you know in the same way that people used race science before you could analytically look at this and be like black people are just statistically bad at baseball and then but without using the word black people right like you can feed it a set of data that that justifies you know the economic investment to latin america while denying the investment into black communities for baseball which you know to some degree has been done and use that as justification without understanding that like they work on two different baselines because of prior historical factors that can't be quantified mm -hmm. in a way that fits into a baseball or economic model and like it's also sort of counterintuitive to winning because like analytics brings accountability to people's work but accountability breeds fear so fear suppresses new ideas and you you expect that analytics will create a better system, but it does the exact opposite where people just go into right. what works because they know it's, it'll trigger like uh, it'll trigger the algorithm or it'll trigger the statistical model less than trying something new that might fail. It, it also is inherently flawed in its hyper focus on the micro as opposed to the overall macro, which is a, uh, is, is a very, you know, intangible but important aspect of sports, which a lot of traditionalists will even say, interestingly enough. Yeah, and like and like it's called metric based policing. Like that is the term that, that Scoop Jackson uses, mm. which I really like because it's about outcomes and not output. And like in baseball, the the popular thing that's you know described in Moneyball is you're not buying wins, you're buying runs. If you buy enough runs through a statistical model for the best efficient price you'll buy the most wins. <laughs> and like the data doesn't know who's playing, which I think is kind of broken because the data doesn't know who's playing, but the people manipulating the data do. And their job is to maximize profit, accountability, and efficiency for the owners, right? So there is this like statistical value in baseball that's used specifically to hamstring black people within the sport. Um, and and all done through this lens of like colorblindness because it's like the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't see race. It's like, of course they do. Of course they fucking do. <laughs> And I mean, contextually, the pool of data is just that much smaller than white or Latino players that there's like uh, there's a roadblock on, uh, in the data just just on a quantity level that isn't being addressed by these people. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you have like 10 players out of 100 who are black, who, uh, you know, if you even try extrapolating that data, you're already going to get a damaged subset of information relative to a larger sample size. Right. Like. There are mm -hmm. ways to sort of flatten out the model, but those are like widely acknowledged to be imperfect. Those are widely acknowledged to be uh, extrapolations and estimates and not actual quantifiable results because you don't have that data, right? It's like a Nielsen. It's like mm -hmm. it's like any sort of, of, you know, analytical system that works on like polling, right? Or, or sample size and like extrapolations from that. The margin of error becomes much bigger. And especially in something that's, does have an element of randomness to it i.e baseball right where which is the most heavily analytical sport because you have the largest sample size of games you're still looking at something that's significantly more random than even something like voting preferences where it's like these are my mm -hmm. value sets 
my value sets match this candidate in this neighborhood. Like you, you can, the models you're tracking are actually a lot more complex because there's a lot more factors involved. So yeah, like, like there is this part to analytics, which, which is like the new race science in sports, right? I think that that's, mm-hmm. and, and you can use this and spin this any different ways using the data you have, like people in baseball love fucking doing to justify keeping black people out of the sport without saying the word black people. And like baseball more than any other sport, and this is where I can kind of kind of leave us before we sort of get into the end of it. Um, also mm-hmm. has a has a history of white legacy, right? Because it is like the one of the oldest games in America. You know, there's a great quote. Uh, it's a long one from from Robert Scoop Jackson's book, which is my favorite book ever written on sports. I'm going to refer to this one a lot as the podcast goes on, where where he describes the relationship between black people and and sports, right? And that this applies specifically to baseball, like. So the Andersons got tickets to the game. How'd they get tickets? The Andersons got tickets because they knew someone. The Andersons got tickets because they're plugged mm-hmm. and privileged. The Andersons got tickets because they could afford season's tickets. The Andersons got tickets because they have disposable income in a way that most don't. The Andersons got tickets because dad used to work for the league. The Andersons got tickets because mom sits on the team's board. The Andersons got tickets because their kids are on a first-name basis with all the players on the team. The Andersons got tickets because the senior VP of sales went to Stanford with Mr. Anderson. The Andersons got tickets because their daughter's engaged to a player. They got tickets because they've hosted friends of parties at their home for the team. They got tickets because they've donated more time and money to the team's charities than any family in the state. They got tickets because their family helped get the new stadium built. They got tickets because Mr. Anderson's brother sits on the city's urban planning council, which um, helped build the stadium. The They got tickets because their youngest son is being groomed to one day run for mayor. They got tickets because Grandpa Anderson has a street in town named after him. They got tickets because their family represents everything the organization wants fans of the market to represent, and so on and so on. The Andersons got tickets because they make shit happen. They got tickets because the Andersons are those people. And I think they forgot that the Andersons help wasn't able to afford uh, to go to the game, just very simply. So yeah, the, there is black people in this yeah, story. Yeah, the, the black equivalent to the to the Andersons would be the Cosbys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. like... <laughs> like it's but it is like a very accurate representation i think of like where baseball's own politics lie and especially in, in regards to the relationship between baseball and just this like uh, like explosive amount of just like global capitalism right like the one thing he doesn't mention is that the anderson's helped uh helped bribe the official in nicaragua where they own their fucking garment right. factory <laughs> to give them public land to build a baseball academy <laughs> yeah or that the andersons had some kind of connection to the cocoa fields in <laughs> venezuela that from- were just a, like a hot yeah that we're gonna give us the the uh the the grass space to uh build uh fields for their uh basketball quote-unquote academy yeah, their, their weird factory system yeah, so what do you think about about this whole fucking saga? That's still ongoing, by well, the way. It's 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 funny um, that we we you know we went through the analytics, but there actually is uh, just from my notes a concerted effort that I found from some ESPN analysts um, and uh, and just figureheads like Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith or just anybody else that's been on a panel where they have to discuss this topic to mention the sort of human side of this. Like I saw about f- at least five different clips where one of these personalities responded to a baseball player who was concerned with this issue. With but wait wait wait. Isn't it just a boredom thing? Isn't it just the fact that baseball is a slow start and stop sport that doesn't provide the same excitement as football and, and basketball? Which it, it, it's so interesting to me that there is efforts from all fronts in this cultural war of baseball to to uh validify why there aren't any black people playing it when these sports analysts by the way are sitting face to face in front of a black baseball player asking them this this to their face and the, the they don't know what to say because they clearly found the sport interesting enough to overcome the overt racism that they had to deal with to become baseball players right and i'll just leave you with this to take it back to Jackie Robinson who did won the very did win the very first rookie of the year award uh, the year he won, he was uh, he was in a national poll, going back to statistics, ranked as the second most admired American ahead of Harry S. Truman and General Dwight Eisenhower and only behind famous non-racist Bing Crosby. And, and it was very specifically because liberal America loved him as like a uh, a black man who was patient and not uppity, which wow. does describe the relationship of sports to racial politics. And uh I'm I'm happy mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson solved 
Like, I'm happy he broke the color barrier, well, but, like, ultimately, he, you know, his lack of action, I think, and especially the ways he helped, like, actual, like, socialist and economically aggressive, like, black organizing in the U.S., um, did do a lot to, like, you know, sort of shift the, the civil rights struggle into more of, like, a liberal rather than a economic and material one jackie robinson's uh, legacy by the way i forgot to mention this earlier maybe this would be a good place to le- leave off too was, is internalized to this day i i don't know if you found this story but um recently uh jeremiah chapman an aau baseball player in iowa was uh, part of a news story because uh this summer while he was playing a game he was being yelled at by the audience uh you should go back to the fields quote and another quote you should have been George Floyd and then started chanting Trump 2020 at this fucking high school baseball game. Um, and he, per, he, when asked about this, um, not only was there no disciplinary action taken by the this AAU league, by the way, but he was lauded for uh, he was praised for in basically internalizing these comments and not uh, acting out and finishing the game, even though he was asked by the umpire if he would like the game to be canceled he decided to continue going very very proudly and respectfully so jackie robinson's legacy lives yeah and i'm sure every fucking black kid who hears the story will just want to fucking run to the nearest baseball diamond with like glass and divots in the field and like play with the fucking rats right like or run run to real sports and drop two hundred dollars on all the gear that they fucking yeah a hundred percent and with that we'll leave you this week Uh, we'll be back at you next week with uh probably your cfl episode i don't know uh but yeah no hope you all have a great week and uh hope hope you like this little uh this little run of baseball and uh, global imperialism if you like this episode if you like our engaging astute brilliant beautiful political analysis and you want to find out more or hear more from people who are almost but not as quite as good as we are uh, you can you can check out Harbinger's entire cross-country lineup of podcasts. Just kidding. They're very smart and very beautiful and very hot. And we love them. Um, you can check out Harbinger's cross-country lineup of podcasts. Get access to exclusive shows and content at harbingermedianetwork.com. And you can check out all the podcasts, all the content, all the awesome work being done at The Mind Refinery online and, uh, and all their other stuff at themindrefinery.com. 